Welcome to the Uncommon Church Podcast. Today, you'll hear a message from our pastor, Brad Carrington. We hope that it helps you to know God, grow strong in your faith, and do all that he has called you to do. Doing woo. All right. Well, we're so glad to have you here in church today. It is a great honor to have you here. Um, I want to jump right into the message this morning. In 2022, in January, we, um, we all fasted for 21 days, and we were believing God for seven areas that he had called us to take back ground, to advance, to move the ball down the field. And just as a reminder, those seven areas were supernatural living, that each of us would live a supernatural lifestyle, that we would be the ones that pray for the sick in the grocery store and prophesy over our coworker, that we would move in supernatural power. The second leads to that would be evangelism, that we would have a heart for lost people, that we would want to pray that God would use us to win the lost and that, that we would be the ones that share our faith wherever we go. The third thing would be in discipleship. We don't just want to catch the fish. We also want to scale them. We also want to teach them how to follow Jesus. Um, so by, uh, isn't it funny how some churches, uh, they're no longer fishers of men, but they have a big pile of the same fish. They just keep scaling week after week after week. Man, I, I think we should be fishers of men, and that comes through evangelism and discipleship. And then the fourth thing, which is where we're going to focus today, is on the next generation. I think God wants to move in a mighty way in our children and in our young people. And we'll talk more about that in a moment. Uh, the number five area is that I want to see poverty broken off of the mid-cities and especially anybody at Uncommon Church, and that we would be a people that walk in blessing and prosperity so we can be a blessing to others. Sixth, uh, now that the world is getting mildly back to normal, whatever that is, I want us to have a heart for world missions. Um, so right now, a lot of our church is in Brazil for the annual, or not annual, the first time ever global conference for the PCG, and uh, we're really excited. That wrapped up last night. They'll all be flying back here this week. Josh Martinez and I will be spending a week training pastors in Jamaica in September. And when you picture Jamaica, please don't picture a beach. We're in the middle of the country where there's no beaches, just, just regular people. And uh, so Josh and I are excited. I think, I can't remember how many pastors are coming, but I think there's about 60 pastors coming. Uh, from all over Jamaica and a few that are flying in from other Caribbean nations. So we're really excited to be doing that. And then number seven is our influence in the community. Uh, Josie uh, joined the Chamber of Commerce for the Mid-Cities and uh, just as a representation of our church. And she even made me go to a chamber meeting recently. Uh, and it was actually quite fun. I enjoyed uh, getting out and shaking hands and kissing babies with other people in the community. Better uh, to shake hands than kiss babies than shake babies and kiss hands. That's weird. So... <laughs> Um, good morning, good morning, good morning. We're going to talk about number four, which was the next generation and what I believe God wants to do in the next generation. And I specifically want to focus on Gen Z. Gen Z is anybody that was born between 1995 and 2015. That 20-year period is Gen Z, uh, which a lot of big high fives from all the Gen Zers. I happen to have three of them in my family. And um, that's anybody now who's age 7 to 27. So I'm talking about most of our church is either Gen Z or has a Gen Zer or knows a Gen Zer. -er. And then also in America, this is 25%. One out of four people is in that Gen Z marker in the United States, which is about 74 million Gen Zers. Now, I have heard some people complain about Gen Z. I have heard some people say it's the worst generation ever, that if the, the men and women that fought World War II were the best generation ever, that this is the worst generation ever. But I think God wants to move mightily in this generation, and we need to stop saying stuff like that. 
Now, don't get me wrong, the statistics don't look good for Gen Z as far as the Lord is concerned. Two out of all, uh, two out of three of all Gen Zers, 66% of all Gen Zers are not in church or have left the church from the previous generation. Uh, in a recent study, only 3% of anybody in Gen Z says that they read their Bible on a consistent basis. 3% of Gen Zers read their Bible. I think that COVID punched the world in the mouth, but I think it's affected Gen Z more than anybody else. Uh, they were, <laughs> my niece, uh, she just graduated high school, so when, when COVID hit, she was finishing up her sophomore year, and uh, then she went back for her junior year, and she's in the public school system in Northern Virginia. I mean, Northern Virginia was locked down like California, New York, and all that. They were super locked down, and she was supposed to be up early, you know, zooming into her classrooms and all that, and it was somewhere around 11, she was rolling out of bed. And um, I, I, said, uh, I said, Adele, how's, how's Zoom school going? And she said, Uncle Brad, I'm going to tell you the truth. Uh, my generation that graduates through all this COVID stuff will be the dumbest generations of Americans ever. Because I'm not trying, my sister was like, Adele, how dare, like, because she's like, none of us are trying. Ain't nobody care about school when it's online. So uh, that's how the church is going too. So, um, <laughs> what? We have a whole generation of young people that have been isolated. They have been um, uh, anxious. They've been depressed. Um, in a recent study, the same study, on average, Gen Z spends four hours a day on their phone. And that means some kids are spending 20 minutes and some kids are spending eight hours on their phone. And on their phones, there is an open door to a few good things and a lot of bad things that the devil wants to attack this next generation with. So all of this, I know it sounds like a problem, but to me it sounds like an opportunity for God to move. Because God loves moving in difficult situations. And um, I want to read you a, a portion of scripture from Nehemiah, but before I get there, let me set it up. And that would be, um, if you don't know the story of, of Nehemiah, Nehemiah, Ezra, Malachi, those um, final books of the Old Testament were a, a season, a period about 400 years before Jesus. So if you can kind of picture where Jesus fits in, go back about 400 years. It was probably the darkest time in Israel's history. God said, if you, if you love me and obey me, I'll bless the nation of Israel, but if you disobey me, then um, you won't get to keep the land. So um, the, the, the nation of Israel was overrun, uh, and, and most of the young people were taken out of the nation of Israel, and they're up in uh, Babylon, which would have been like kind of modern-day Iraq and Iran area. And this, this young man named uh, Nehemiah was a Jewish kid that was raised in Babylon, but he was brilliant, and God's hand was on his life. He became an advisor in the king's court. He actually was his cupbearer, but a cupbearer was someone who would stand near and, of course, taste the food, but it was also an advisor, somebody that could speak to the king. And Nehemiah says to the king, listen, if you don't mind, I want to go back to Jerusalem. I want to go back to the land of Israel, and I want to rebuild the walls, and I want, I want there to be protection and, and things for my people and for the young people that are there. So I, I think today America is in kind of a similar situation. Um, our walls of our culture have been broken down, and the things that used to be pillars in our culture just 50 years ago, uh, they don't exist anymore, or we believe lies that are the opposite of those things. And, and we actually, people today actually believe 
in, in the lies of the enemy. So we, as a people of God, need to not be afraid, not shrink back, and not give up this ground, not give up the territory for the next generation, but instead fight for and rebuild our nation, rebuild the walls of, of, of revival, of, for God to move among our young people. So that why? So that we would leave a legacy for the next generation, that, 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 that it would not be said that we were a church that did not care about the, the, the next generation, but that we would leave a legacy of faith. So we need to all embrace that, that spirit of Nehemiah that says, I'm not going to blame anybody else, uh, and, but I'm going to cry out to God on behalf of the next generation. I'm going to put in the work to rebuild the walls. I'll rebuild it. Um, have you ever been to a restaurant and you saw a family in need? Um, uh, I remember, um, I think it was, who, who went with me to Amarillo on the church staff? Ira went with me. I was preaching in a church in Amarillo last year, and Ira and I went to uh, the I-40 restaurant with the, the tourist steaks, um, what, 72 ounce steak for free, and there's the billboards for 100 miles in each direction. Why are you looking at me like I'm speaking Swahili? You've all driven on I-40. You've all seen the billboards. You, like, come on, people. Anyway, Ira and I were there, and there was a family that couldn't afford their ticket. Now, don't get me wrong. They ordered, like, one of everything, and the menu had the prices, so I don't know how they didn't know what was coming at the end. But there was tears, and there was, is there anything we can do? And um, Ira and I were watching the situation unfold, and um, I, I know you, and I know your generosity, so I was able to be generous on your behalf. And I just said, ma'am, our church would like to pay for that family's ticket. And it was the coolest thing, because they were, oh, so thank you so much. And I got to give Jesus glory and I got to give our church glory. It was just fun. But here's the deal. It was so fun to put somebody else's tab on our shoulders. We as the people of God need to put this generation on our shoulders and say, I'll pray, I'll fight, I'll put in the work to win this generation. All right. So Nehemiah is back in Israel, he's in Jerusalem, he's rebuilding the walls, and believe it or not, not everybody is on board with God's walls going up. I know that sounds strange that people would criticize you for what you believe, but Nehemiah was being criticized by Sanballat and other guys, and they were mocking them, and they were insulting them for trying to rebuild the walls of Jerusalem. So Nehemiah is trying to, to, to rally the people on a Sunday morning at 1057, and he's rallying the people, and he says in Nehemiah chapter 4 and verse 14. I looked and arose. I said to the nobles, I said to the officials, I said to everybody at Uncommon Church, do not be afraid of those critics. What do we do? Remember the Lord. Remember the Lord who is great and he is awesome. Fight for your brothers, sons, and daughters. Fight for your wives and your homes. Fight for our families. Fight for the next generation. Fight for our children. Now, right away, I just want to give a little bit of a time out and say this is not a parenting message because there's some people that are not parents or not yet parents or haven't been parents in a long time because your kids are grown and kids are old. But um, how many of you are in Gen Z? You're 7 to 27 years old right now. Good. Raise your hand. I mean, keep your hands up. How many of you have a child that is a Gen Zer? I've got three of them. How many of you have grandkids that are Gen Zers? How many of you know somebody that is a Gen Zer? This is literally where every single hand is up except for that guy in the back because he's looking at me like, I will not raise my hand ever. <laughs> but I pointed him out. This message is not a parenting message. This message is for everybody. This message is for the church, for the entire body of Christ because in the kingdom of God, we are all a family. We are all brothers and sisters. We have all been adopted into God's family. So our young people need our help. The next generation needs us to stand up and to fight for them. 
So it, 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 this is not a parenting thing where I'm gonna give you a bunch of points on parenting. This is an everybody thing where I'm gonna give us points on how to pray and stand and fight for a generation. Now, if you are older people, if you are an empty nester, then this is a call for us to make sure we leave a legacy of faith for the next generation. Let it not be said that we get up into heaven and we high five everybody and they're like, hey, what did you do for the next generation? You're like, I got here, isn't that good enough? Well, that doesn't set up the next generation for success. So this is message is for, for everybody. We need to take ownership of Gen Z. We need to pray in a, a move of God on their behalf. And I'm gonna, I'm gonna show you a few responses to a survey that shocked me when I heard the responses. Um, and believe it or not, this generation wants us to fight for them. This generation wants us to be involved in their lives. And you might say, no, 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 no. More than ever before, kids today, they're isolated, they're self-centered, they're on their phones, they're on their video games, they don't want any help from me, they've got it all figured out, they're independent. I recently heard a preacher say, teenagers know everything. Come on, somebody, I say it every single Sunday. I can't get a joke on my own joke. Tough crowd today, I'm gonna keep working and I'm gonna win you over by the end of this thing. Uh, this survey was done by Church of the Highlands, which is a church in Birmingham, Alabama, with over 50,000 people, and they have 10,000 teenagers, 10,000 middle school students and high school students. This is a church with a heart for young people, and they gave this survey to kids. This was basically one question. It was an anonymous question, one statement, and they said, young people, we want you to complete this statement. I wish my parents knew. I wish my parents knew that I wanted, that even though my actions don't show it, I desperately want to please them. I wish my parents knew how much I love them even though I don't always say it. I wish my parents knew how much I treasured their advice even when I acted like I couldn't care less. Fathers, listen to this next one. This, this got me. This broke my heart. I wish my dad knew how much I loved holding his hand even though I acted like it embarrassed me in front of my friends. I wish my parents knew that when they wouldn't let me date a particular guy and I acted all mad, I was really thankful that they were fighting for me. I wish my parents knew that instead of threatening to punish me, I need them to actually do it. I wish my parents knew that when they fight all the time, that messed me up. I wish my parents knew that it was their words that had more impact on me than any others. Things that they don't even remember saying changed my life. Your kids are always listening to what you're saying. I wish my parents knew that I would like to be open with them when I make a mistake instead of trying to cover it up and hide it. I wish my parents knew the evils that I face every day. I wish my parents knew the fear that I'm actually hiding by my rebellion against them. The last one is, I wish my parents knew how hard it is to stay pure. Can you hear the cry of a generation? These are Christian teenagers in America just a few months ago, and they're crying out, I need you to be involved in my life. I need you to fight for me. I need you to love me. I need you to build walls that are gonna protect me. I want us to be like Nehemiah, and I want us to all have a spirit of Nehemiah that wants to fight for this generation. 
So what are some things that we can do? I'm going to give you three biblical things that we all can do. Parents, grandparents, uncles, nieces, aunts, everybody. Number one is to pray for this generation. And when I say pray, I mean pray. I mean actually spend time in prayer. Whether it's your kids or somebody else's kids, we need to pray. And we have a natural statistical problem, but you don't fight a natural problem without first fighting it in prayer. And we don't fight in the natural world. We fight in the spiritual world. We fight in powers and principalities and unseen worlds. You know how sometimes um, your kids would go to bed and they would catch you watching a movie you probably shouldn't be watching because of all the gore and violence and language and sex and they, they, they couldn't sleep, so they come in, they catch you watching that movie you know you shouldn't be watching. Or they catch you, you've had one too many, and you're a little, little fuzzy. Wouldn't it be great if our kids would catch us in prayer for them? Wouldn't it be great if you go over to grandma and grandpa's house, and they catch us with our, our notepad and how we pray for our grandkids? And your grandkids are nosy anyway, so they're just rooting around in your life, and they find grandma and grandpa's prayer journal open from this morning when they were praying for their grandkids, dads. I don't know what it is about fathers, but there's something about a praying dad that has such a power to transform a generation. I need you to be a man of prayer and fight for your kids in prayer. If your kids have never heard you pray for anything but your food, you need to step up your prayer life. I'll say it again for this side of the room. If your kids have never heard you pray for anything other than dinner, dads, you need to step up your prayer life. Now, what are three biblical things that you can pray over your kids? Now, this is for everybody. I need you to pray this over uncommon youth. I need you to pray this over you kids. I need you to pray this over everybody in our church, your nieces, your nephews, your grandchildren. Pray that they would have the fear of God and that they would show reverence to the Lord. Now, when I say fear of the Lord, I don't mean fear like afraid. I mean fear like honor, respect. Proverbs chapter 9 says the fear of the Lord is the very beginning of wisdom. So it's not fear, afraid. It's honor. It's reverence. It's respect for God and the things of God. Don't you want your kids to be wise in this world? Well, godly wisdom starts with honoring the Lord, honoring the Lord's word, honoring the Lord's presence, honoring the Lord's ways. Psalm 3411 says, come, my children, come, Gen Z, and listen. I'm going to teach you the fear of the Lord. Mom and dad, you can't teach what you don't know. You can't give away what's not on the inside of you. This, this generation needs us to be a people of prayer, needs us to be a nation of prayer, needs us to be revivalists that are praying and believing God to move in this generation, that we know the power of God. We know the fear of the Lord. We honor God. And if we want revival to start in the next generation, it starts with us on our knees. The Bible says that when we fear the Lord, following the fear of the Lord is blessing. Following the fear of the Lord is health. Following the fear of the Lord is favor. Following the fear of the Lord is God's goodness. So don't you want God to bless and prosper the next generation? Teach them the fear of the Lord. Teach them to honor God. Teach them to hear his voice and to be sensitive to the leading of the Holy Spirit. This is something we focus a lot on with our kids. Not fear of the Lord in a bad way, but fear of the Lord and hearing his voice and being obedient to the ways of the Lord. I remember my son Josh. He, um, he would try to sin. But mama and dad were praying so much that the Holy Spirit would always convict him of his sin. So then he would come tell on himself. He'd be like six years old and be like, hey, I just want you to know I just punched uh, Jordana, like square in the face. You, sh- you should probably spank me. You think I'm kidding? He was the most honest kid. He used to complain because he said, well, my angels won't let me get away with anything. 
and that's true. So one time we're going into the room for a, a, the punishment and he goes, man, I just wish the Holy Spirit would let me get away with sin. <laughs> but his heart was so sensitive that he trained him to be obedient to fear the Lord. I remember one time, he was older, he was a sophomore in high school, 16 years old. He came home from a, a thing with a bunch of other kids and uh, bold face lied to us. Josie and I were sitting on the couch, stood right in front of us and just lied to us. And we're like, that's really what happened? And he goes, yep. And he turned and walked out the door. 10 seconds later, turns back around, 16 years old, tears in his eyes. He goes, nope, totally lied to you right then. None of that was true. Here's what really happened. Sheep know the voice of the shepherd. Baby sheep don't know the shepherd's voice. They only know mom and dad's voice. So daddy sheep and mommy sheep need to teach the little lambs how to hear and obey the voice of the shepherd. I'm preaching better than you're amening. So we need to pray and model the fear of the Lord over our kids. We need to also pray that they would be surrounded with divine favor that God would open their eyes to realize for Gen Z that, that we don't deserve anything, but that everything is a gift from God. God doesn't owe us anything. We owe God everything. So he is the one who favors us. He is the one who prospers us. He is the one who protects us. But we need to teach that to them because they'll love God all the more if you show them that it is the Lord and how the Lord is moving and where the Lord is moving in your family's life. Show them that it's God that's been blessing us. Show them that God deserves all the praise, all the honor, all of the glory on your best day and on your worst day. Here's what Psalm uh, chapter five and verse 12 says, surely you have blessed the righteous and you have surrounded us with what? Favor as a shield. The favor of God becomes a shield that protects our children. And we want our children to know that it is not them, it's not us, it's the favor of God that's opening doors and blessing them. And I, I remind you to some recent messages, Jesus taught us to pray, Lord, let your name be holy, let your kingdom come, let your will be done, where? On earth, just like it is in heaven that we would teach the next generation to thank God for moving in their life, that, that we would show them uh, all the areas that God has been blessing them. And what happens is when we do this, it creates gratitude. How many of you like giving a gift to somebody that says, hey, F you? I'm not sure if I'm allowed to say that in church, but it's just a letter. I don't know what word you were completing that with. Or you give a gift to somebody and they go, hey, 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 thank you. This means a lot to me. I'm very, very grateful. See, gratitude opens up hearts. Psalm 100 verse 4 says, enter into his gates with thanksgiving. Enter into the courts of the Lord with praise. Give thanks to God and bless his holy name. You want your kids to know the presence of God? Teach them to enter into God's presence with gratitude and thankfulness. Parents, lead by example. Every time something good happens in your life, stop and be like, children, we need to thank God for this thing that happened. It's, it's God's blessing, it's God's favor, and you point to the Lord. But then can I tell something to you that is actually destroying all the good that you've done? Stop complaining when things don't go your way. I don't know why my kids complain all the time. They're just a chip off the old block. Stop complaining and find the good in everything. 
Stop complaining about the economy. Stop complaining about the president. Stop complaining about COVID. Stop complaining about traffic. That last one was for me. <laughs> Stop complaining and find the good and celebrate things. Don't let your kids complain. You wouldn't let your kids use foul language. Don't let them complain either. And reward them when, they're, when they speak blessing and favor and thanksgiving. All right, next area of prayer. Pray that God would bring, what's the next one? Godly friends and godly influences into your children's life. Teleprompters are way off. So I'll let you guys find that. I'll just read this back here. Pray that God would give them godly friends and godly influence. You show me your friends, I'll show you your future. I'll say it again for this side of the room. You show me your friends, I'll show you your future. Rarely to never, the longer I was, don't forget, Josie and I were youth pastors for many, many years, and now the longer we've been pastoring. I, I've literally never seen a young person reject God and walk away from their faith that were surrounded by a group of godly teenagers that were pursuing Jesus. In my opinion, it's impossible. However, hundreds of times I've seen young people walk away from their faith when they've been surrounded by faithless people that don't love God. We all know the verse because the men's group uses it all the time. Proverbs 27, 17, as iron sharpens iron, a friend sharpens another friend. Don't forget, you can be sharpened for good or sharpened for bad. So the, the good kids that love God are gonna rub off on your kids. The bad, bad kids that don't love God are gonna rub off on your kids. First Corinthians chapter five and verse 33 says, uncommon church, don't be deceived. Bad company will ruin good morals. Mom and dad, it is your responsibility to be the gatekeeper to your kids' friendships. You are the gatekeeper into their little hearts. Now, it's so much easier to do this as teenagers if you start when they're young and when they're little, that you are the one that watches over who they have play dates with and whose house they get to spend the night with and who gets to come over to your house. You, you are the one who's in charge of that. So, especially as they get to become middle school and teen, in high school, mom and dad, listen. Be the house that the kids come watch a movie at. Be the house that kids come play video games at. Be the house that everybody sleeps over at. It's gonna cost you thousands of dollars in pizza and Doritos and sleep. But it saves your kids from being snatched by the enemy. How about that? Totally worth it. Totally worth it. Can I give you a parenting pro tip? Don't squeeze your kids so hard and lock them down and you crank down on them so hard with, you're gonna be godly like I'm godly. And they're like 18 and you won't let them watch a PG-13 movie. What's gonna happen? I don't know why that kid freaked out. I know why. Because you were helicopter parents that squished down too hard. Starting when they're about 10 years old, you gotta start slowly releasing that pressure valve Slowly, 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 slowly. So that by the time they're 16, 17 years old, there's no rules, there's no curfew. We never had a curfew. Why? Our kids didn't need a curfew. Why? Because they were discipled into knowing and honoring the fear of the Lord. And because we didn't squeeze them with pressure. We, for years and years and years, we very intentionally, very slowly released the pressure. So that by the time they were 16, 17 years old, they were making their own decisions. I'm not ignorant. I'm sure my kids made some bad decisions sometimes. But for the most part, they made good decisions and all three are grown and love the Lord now. Pray, here's your prayer, if you're taking notes, which I hope that you are, and it looks like two of you are, that's great. 
pray and ask the Lord to surround uncommon youth and uncommon kids with godly friends and godly influences. And then, by the way, another little pro tip, when God blesses you and you, your kid has a, a Holy Ghost teacher at school, has a coach or an assistant coach that loves the Lord, has some friend they found at school that really loves God, goes to a different church, but they really love God, thank the Lord. Thank the Lord. Thank the Lord that you've got a youth pastor and youth leaders that love your kids and go to their games and go to their recitals. Thank God for this church. Thank God for our young people. Thank God for our kids' leaders. Thank them. Give them a, a, a gift card. I was going to say give them a Starbucks gift card, but I'm getting a little sick of Starbucks lately and how they're treating issues of, that are important to me. Disney, too. I'm done with Disney. For my, my grandkids are not going to be Disney people. Um, two amens. All right. Good. You guys, do you love this world more than you love the kingdom of God? Do you love your own entertainment more than the things of God? Gee whiz. I wish people loved Jesus as much as they love Disney and Marvel. Golly. Um, I wish you knew as much scripture as you knew about stupid things that don't matter. Let me wrap up this whole first point. One grandma says amen. I need more grandmas like that, Lord. Wrapping up this first point, we need to pray and fight for this generation. And I'm telling you, they're actually asking us to pray for them. They're actually asking us to fight for them. Here's number two, and I'll try to move quicker. We need to prioritize church. Our kids need, to, need us to take them to church consistently. Uh, our chid, kids need church to not be an option anymore. Our kids need to see us coming early, worshiping God, loving God, serving on a team, dad, do you know that our dream team is way outnumbered by women over men? Men, I don't know why you're not serving, but I can tell you what's gonna happen to the next generation if you keep not serving. It's not the same online, by the way. You must be present to win. And can I also say this about church? They don't need to sit in this building for another hour and a half. They don't need to hear another 30 minute message. They need a hug from a youth leader in the lobby. They need a high five from an usher. They, they, need, they need a place that they can serve God and use the gifts and talents that God has put inside of them to serve God. It, it's, it's not about building a church, it's about building a generation of young people. Building up a generation of young people that know God, they know church, they know how to worship, they know how to honor, they know how to serve, they, that, that young men know how to open the door for young women and old women and all the women. And I tell you, sometimes when we're in an environment and in the world that everybody's depressed and everybody's anxious and everybody's upset all the time, sometimes you need an hour and a half to be in a room full of people that are happy, that are clapping, that are shouting, that are engaging, that are dancing. You know what I'm saying? Sometimes you've got to get out your house and get into the house of God. Because you can't experience that when you're watching church online. I'll also say this. It's really hard to serve on a dream team as an usher when you're home in your bathrobe. It's just practically impossible. You can't be on the welcome team if you're sitting at home. You can't be on the worship team if you're sitting at home. You can't serve in our children's ministry if you're sitting at home. God's put talent on the inside of you. And he wants to, you to use those. What's the whole vision of our church? To know God, grow strong, and then do what you've been called to do. And our young people are not going to serve if we don't, as parents, set the example that serving God is important. Our kids are not going to prioritize what we don't prioritize. Jesus prioritized going to church. You know that? So if Jesus prioritized it, we need to prioritize it. Luke chapter 4 and verse 16, Jesus went to Nazareth where he was brought up on the Sabbath day. He went to the synagogue 
as was his custom. As was his custom. Make it the custom of your house that you're going to church no matter what. When I was a kid, nothing kept us from church. You got to remember, my parents were not super duper G.I. Joe Jesus people. They were new believers that found God and then found each other and were putting our super dysfunctional family together. Jesus wasn't an option for them. Jesus was everything for my parents. So when we went on vacation, we went to church in another church. We didn't go in a sports league that met on a Sunday morning. If I was a teenager and I was out late with my friends on Saturday night, my stepfather dragged me out of bed. You think I'm playing. I'm talking covers back, water poured over me until I got up out of bed. That's a good dad right there. That's a good dad right there. I'm a preacher today. I'm a Christian today. I'm a man of God today because my stepdad dragged me out of bed even when I didn't get home till two or three in the morning. Being tired wasn't an option. <laughs> I remember as a kid, my parents, we just celebrated 40 years of going to the same beach house on the Outer Banks, Nags Head, North Carolina. Now I'm bringing my kids there. And if my son and daughter-in-law would give me grandbabies, I'm going to bring a grandbaby there. But when I was a kid, there's no pressure, just no pressure, in the Lord's time. Um, if you're visiting, they haven't even been married a year yet. I'm just super impatient. That's all I'm saying. I want grandbabies. My grand puppy in Colorado was sick this week. I almost flew to Colorado. You think I'm playing? I was debating and checking flights because my grand puppy had a tummy ache. He's all right now, I know you were concerned. When I was a kid, we used to go to uh, Nags Head, North Carolina, and there was a First Assembly of God Church in Manteo, North Carolina. Somewhere in some you know, cardboard box is all of my art and records and stuff from 40 years ago when I was a kid, because on vacation, we went to church. Can I give you a little, a little side note, a little uh, fruit that remains? When I was older and traveling as a preacher, I've actually preached in that same church. So just kind of neat how fruit that they invested in me when I was a child and I invested in them uh, when I was a traveling minister. So, all right, let's get back to the notes. Hebrews chapter 10 and verse 24, let us consider how we may spur one another on, how we can encourage each other towards love and good deeds, not giving up on meeting together as some got in the habit of doing during COVID. Let me look at the camera, camera two. If you live in DFW and you are watching this service and you are perfectly healthy, it's time to stop being a bathrobe Christian and get your butt in one of these seats. Mom and dad, you gotta stop skipping church because we have raised a generation of people that are Bible illiterate. And Pastor Josh and his leaders are teaching our toddlers, teaching our elementary school kids, teaching our young people the Word of God. So if you want your kids to know the Word of God, stop skipping church. I know you don't feel like it, but it's not for you. That's what parenting is all about. Sometimes it's doing things for somebody else for the next generation. Can we go back one verse, guys, to verse 23? Let us hold unswervingly to the hope that we profess. Because he who promised, he is faithful. Too many Christians have been living a swervingly Christian life. 
And we need to live our life in an unswerving manner. Stop swerving from church. Stop swerving into fear. Stop swerving into I'm tired. Stop swerving into, oh, I'm shamed because I did naughty and I shouldn't go to church anymore. Listen, I get it. Raising kids is hard. But let's stop swerving and help the next generation to know God and honor God. And I'm going to repeat it again. Kids don't need another sermon. They need a hug. They need a youth leader to go to their game and go to their dance recital and go to their spelling bee. They need a small group of other young people to encourage each other and and challenge each other. They need hands laid on them. They need to be prophesied over and they need to learn how to prophesy over other people. So let's, remember, this is all under the heading of prayer. Let's pray that we would prioritize church. Parents, I want you to make a commitment that you're not going to skip church. You're not going to be late for church. You don't get your kids late to school. You're not late for work. But when you come late for church, you're telling your kids, worship doesn't matter. God doesn't matter. You can just show up whenever you feel like it. Well, that's not true. God matters a lot more than work in school. Let them see you praying. Let them see you worshiping. Let them see you serving on a team once a month. Let them see you giving. Now, if you give digitally, your kids might not even be there when you give. So surround the family around the table. Have a family meeting at the end of dinner and just say, hey, we're going to give our tithes and our offerings this week. I just want you guys, I want us all to pray and be involved in this. I tithe because my parents tithe and they taught me to tithe. By the way, in September, we're moving middle school from Sunday after church to Wednesday night. So we'll have middle school and high school starting September 14th here on campus together. They'll worship together and then they'll split up for small groups. Obviously, we don't want middle schoolers small grouping with high schoolers, so they'll have separate small groups. But that's going to start. Mom and dad, I need you to drive your teenagers and their friends here on Wednesday nights. Because it's only the devil that doesn't want you to bring your kids to church. God's not like, totally skip worship and church and yeah, that would be terrible. It's only the devil that wants you to have a flat tire, that wants you to be tired. I can guarantee you, if you commit to bring your kids to to youth every Wednesday night, something will go wrong on Wednesday afternoon. I guarantee it. And you're not going to want to bring them here. But that's why you drop your kids at the youth building and then you come to Wednesday night presence and prayer and get a recharge in the presence of God. Josh is a pretty smart fella, and he did this on purpose. He'll be having your young people over there. You're going to be in here worshiping God and getting stronger in prayer. All right, let's move on. Let's trust God that if we make church a priority in our lives and in the lives of our kids, he will work open doors, he will meet them here, and he will develop and strengthen their faith. That's good writing. Let's participate in the development of the next generation. This is your third and final point. We need some help to develop. Now, if... If you are 15, why don't you go through growth track and serve in toddlers or kids? If you're 22, why don't you go through growth track and serve in teens or kids? If you're old, why don't you go through growth track and you can serve in any way that blesses our kids and blesses our young people and blesses our college-age kids? Because there's a call on the church to be generational, not just in a little box for what's in it for me for today. I want to help build up the next generation. Because we're not just in this thing for today, we're in this thing to make sure that there is fruit that remains, that there's a a church here, you know, 20, 30 years from now. And if you're new and visiting our church and don't know what growth track is, that's how we take you from an outsider to an insider, from a visitor to a part of this family. Growth track one is always the first Sunday of the month. Next week, 
one week from today, after service for one hour, meet with Josie and I and go through Growth Track 1, Growth Track 2, Growth Track 3, and then join one of our teams and start serving, whether you're a teenager, a young adult, or old people like me. Psalm 145 verse 4 says, one generation is going to tell the next generation. Let one generation tell the children of the mighty acts of God. Let them proclaim the power of God. So we need to be the ones that tap into the power of God, that know the power of God, and then we teach that to the next generation. I'm going to give you three practical areas of how you can help participate in the development of the next generation. Number one is to be an example to them. You don't need to be super smart. You just need to be super consistent, that you will be an example. Why? Because young people are always watching. Young people are watching everything you do to see if what you say is true and if what you say you live out, you actually live out. One of the biggest reasons why pastors' children walk away from faith is because pastors and leaders in the church are hypocrites, and they don't, they're not the same person at home as they are at church as leaders. But if you'll notice, my kids all love God. Why? Because what you get here, this kind of like, like halfway good preacher, normal, just regular guy who wears his heart on his sleeve, that's the same guy at home. I don't have a, a church version of me and a home version of me. Young people are always watching. So mom and dad, you can't be a hypocrite and mail it in anymore. You gotta be real. How about this, young adults? All of the teenagers in our church probably follow you young adults on Instagram. And they're, they're watching you. It's anonymous. You don't know them really, they don't know you, but they follow you and they're watching and they wanna be just like you. So it's important to be in a godly example even if you don't even know that young people are watching you. How about young marrieds? You went through the dating process, you went through the engagement process, you recently got married. You're like, we don't have kids. Yeah, but young people are watching you. They're watching how you love each other, they're watching how you worship, they're watching how you serve. They're watching you. They're watching if you are on a, a dream team or not. They're watching, here, how about this? They're watching if you're paying attention in church or just looking at your phone the whole sermon. They're watching how well you love other people and speak well of other people. They're watching if you go to a you group on a Thursday night or not. Kids are sharp. Kids take everything in. The Apostle Paul was single, never married, never had kids. But the Apostle Paul told the church in Corinth, follow me as I follow Christ. I will be the example. Paul wrote to Titus and he said, encourage the young men to be self-controlled. In everything, in everything, in everything, set an example by doing what is good. In everything, set an example by doing what is good. Dads especially, dads especially. How about I just say men, whether you have children or not, young people are looking at you. So set an example of godly living. Set an example of worship. Your kids, your teenagers are not going to worship more passionately than you are. Your kids are not going to pray more than you are. Your kids are going to follow your example. So when you get into the car, what music are you listening to? They're going to follow your example. At home, you're the only one that knows what you watch and what's on your Netflix history. Oh, and your kids do as well. So they're not going to be more holy than you are. So you have to be looking for ways to raise the bar of holiness, not lowering the bar of holiness. They're looking at how well you treat your spouse. Because we all see the show that you put on here. Your kids see how you actually treat your spouse in private. So you should be loving and sweet and tender and encouraging to your spouse all day, every day, because the next generation is watching. When somebody gets a boo-boo or gets sick, they're watching. Do you reach for the world's way of, of getting better or do you first pray? Prayer is the first thing we do, not the last thing we do. 
but that's taught to our children that the very first thing we do is stop and pray. That comes through example. You're raising giant killers, so mom and dad, you need to demonstrate how to kill a few giants. Can I also say this? Mom and dad, don't freak out when there's a giant in your world. Kids overreact to everything. Mature adults don't. And if you are an overreactor, whether you're a teenager, a young adult, or an old person, if you're an overreactor, that's not a normal behavior for godly men and women. Freedom track starts in September. You think I'm playing. We need to be an example of what it looks like to be hungry for God, to not overreact, to operate in the power of God, to have wisdom, to have humility, to have honor, to have compassion, and to have intimacy with God. All right, let's wrap this up. We need to be available for our kids. This is a practical way that you can be engaged in kids' life. Be available. You don't need to know the Bible, every word of it. You don't have to have it all memorized. You just simply need to say, hey, listen, if you need something, call me. Mom and dad, grandma and grandpa, aunts and uncles, you need to set aside time to spend with your kids that are in your life. You need to take them out for coffee, take them out for dinner, go to Whataburger, just sit and talk. No phones. Mom and dad, you need time for your kids to sit on your bed with no devices and just talk. Tell me about your day. What was the best thing that happened today? What was the worst thing that happened today? What's God been doing speaking in your life? And mom and dad, you don't need to fix every problem. You need to create a safe space for your kids to talk and share what's been on their heart and share what they're struggling with. And if your kid comes to you and says, listen, I've been uh, getting high lately or I've been looking at porn lately or I've been getting drunk lately or I'm I'm struggling with the same sex attraction or I've been cheating at, at school or I've been getting angry and, you know, fighting at school. Mom and dad, you don't freak out. You just listen. You just talk. Sometimes these conversations are going to go till midnight, one, two o'clock in the morning, and you've got to get up and go to work. It's okay to be tired the next day if your kid knows that you're there for them and you're going to listen to them and you're going to share your heart with them. People will often ask, Brad and Josie, what did you guys do to raise three kids that love God as adults? This. We did this. I'm giving you our playbook. This is what we did. And mom and dad, you need to go to as many baseball games and softball games and football games and volleyball games. You need to go to as many dance recitals and musical recitals and song things. You need to go to as many spelling bees. Whatever your kid is into, you need to be into, or at least pretend to be into. I don't care about high school volleyball anymore, but I did for my oldest. I don't care about high school soccer anymore, but I did for four years. I still kind of care about musical theater but I don't have a kid in musical theater anymore. And by the way, if you're into something, take your kids along with you sometimes. Daughters like to go fishing with their old man. Sons wanna go to Hobby Lobby and wander around for two, no, they don't, I was just kidding. (laughs) But they will if you make them, just get in the car. We'll go to Brahms for a milkshake afterwards. Make the most of every opportunity that you have. This is what Paul told the church in Ephesus. He said, make the most of every opportunity that you have because the days are evil. You gotta be intentional. Don't act thoughtlessly. Understand what the Lord wants you to do. Make every day count. I'll tell you why. The days go by too quickly. If you're raising kids, if you've got nothing but diapers and toddlers and boogers and bad grades and all that, there's gonna come a day when you drive your kid to the airport on Wednesday and they fly back to Reading and you don't see them again until Christmas. 
So soak in every one of those moments, every one of those minutes. Life is short, eternity is long. So invest in the next generation that they would be looking more forward to eternity than what this world has to offer tomorrow. Fathers, your daughters won't be looking for the affection of teenage boys if they know they have the affection of their father. So hold their hand. Put your arm around them watching a movie on the couch. But like, I'm not a real touchy-feely person. I don't care. It's not about you. It's about her. Date your kids. Take them on daddy-daughter dates, mommy-son dates. Open the door for them. Be an example to them. They'll never tell you this, but this is what they want you to do. They want you to fight for them. They want you to participate in their lives. Last one, be positive about this generation. Speak life over them. I'm telling you, this is a game changer that no matter what happens, you are the one in their life that speaks life. Be their biggest cheerleader because the devil hates your kids and he's always gonna tear them down. You need to be the one person in their life that's always encouraging them, always speaking life over them. Even if you have to lie to them and tell them they're the best player on the team. Well, I want to speak the truth. No, lie. Tell them they're amazing. Tell them they sang that song the best, they hit the ball the furthest, that they're the best. They'll figure it out someday that they're not. You need to be the one person that's always speaking life over them. And when your kids make a mistake, when, because all kids make mistakes, don't point out what they did wrong. It's pretty obvious. Point out who they are in Christ. Here's your, here's your ex expression, mom and dad. I'm going to help you. Your kid got high, your kid got drunk, your kid slept with somebody they're not married to, your kid's struggling with same-sex attraction, your kid cheated on a test, your kid stole something. You'd be like, all right, hey, I see what you did, but that's not who you are. I see what you did, but that's not who you are. That's not the man that God's called you to be. That's not the woman that God's called you to be. God has an amazing call on your life. And sometimes you're gonna have to speak to things until they become what you've spoken them to be. This is what happened for Abraham. Uh, Romans chapter four, Abraham is our father in the sight of God. He's the one who believed. The God who gives life to the dead and God will call things that are not as though they were. God will call things that are not as though they were. So you don't need to berate your kids. You need to speak life over your kids. You need to speak hope over your kids. Speak to what they can become, what they will become. They need you to fight for them. They need you to be proud of them. If you have not told your kids how proud you are of them in 24 hours, you need to do a better job of telling your kids how proud you are of them. I remember when Jordana was in musical theater, I was there at rehearsal and she sang a solo, special thing, and I thought it was powerful, and I thought she did amazing, and then we broke for a break, and I was in the crowd, uh, you know, other, it doesn't matter. Jordana comes over, I give her a huge hug, I pick her up, I kiss her cheek, I put her down, I hold her face, I say, honey, I'm so proud of you, that was the most beautiful thing I've ever heard. Whether it was true or not, I lied, you know what I'm saying? <laughs> but I held her, and I held her face, I said, I'm so proud of you, I thought that was amazing. One of her teachers that was nearby, this is a woman in her 50s, she began to weep. And Jordana walked away, it was just me and her. And she said, you know, that was a powerful moment because in my life, I've never had a man tell me how proud they are of me. Not my husband, not my dad, not my grandpa. Nobody ever told me they were proud of me. Tears streaming down her face. I said, I'm proud of you. I think you're a great teacher. 
dads especially, we need to tell our kids how proud we are of them. We need to pray and ask God for the spirit of Nehemiah, that we would fight for a generation, that we would have a heart to rebuild a godly kingdom culture. Hop up on your feet. Don't, don't give up on this generation. God's not giving up on them. We're not gonna, we're not gonna lose a generation. We're gonna pray, we're gonna fight, we're gonna be an example. We're gonna, we're gonna commit ourselves to the next generation that we will pray for them and that we will prioritize church and being in church, that we'll be involved in their lives, that we'll set a good example to them, that we'll be available to them and that we're always gonna be positive about the next generation. We're always gonna speak life over the next generation. Do you remember the verse I opened with about Nehemiah from Nehemiah chapter four? Nehemiah was talking to the people and he said, listen, remember the Lord who is great and awesome. Remember the Lord who is great and awesome. I, I think if anything, we as a nation have to humble ourselves and remember the Lord. We as a church need to humble ourselves and remember the Lord. We individually, right? Here, just close your eyes. I want you to remember the Lord. I want you to think about God and all of his goodness for, that he's done for you. I want you to thank him. I want you to thank him for this generation. I want you to thank him for 25% of our culture that are young people, that they are the next generation. And I want us to pray and I want us to commit ourselves to remember the Lord. Now, when I ask you to do things like that, close your eyes, kind of bow your head in prayer. And I say, I want you to remember the Lord. If you're like, dude, I am so far from God. I, I, I don't even know what you're talking about. I'm so far from God. I have like no relationship with God. Listen, I'm glad you were honest about that. That's okay. But today is your day to draw near to God. Today is your day to fall in love with the Lord all over again. Today is your day to repent of your sin and ask God to forgive you. Today is your day to get right back into that intimate, personal relationship with God. Why? Because he wants to use you to fight for the next generation. You matter to God. Whatever age you are, you matter to God and he, he wants to love on you and he wants to forgive you and he wants to adopt you into his family. So with every head bowed and every eye closed, I, I can lead you in a prayer. I can't pray it for you, but I can help you. If you're here this morning or you're at home watching online and you're not right with God, you haven't been remembering the Lord. You've been doing what you want to do. You've been slowly maybe allowing your heart to do things that you never thought it would do in sin. And you've allowed distance to grow between you and God. Listen to me, God's not mad at you. God loves you. He's so kind to you. He'll lead you back to this place of repentance. But we need to be the ones that take ownership of our sin and take ownership of where we fell short. And we need to be the ones that say, God, I'm sorry. Please forgive me. Please wash me and cleanse me. Please restore to me the joy of my salvation. We need to remember the Lord. If you're here this morning, or even if you're home alone watching online, and you need to pray that prayer, it might be the first time you've prayed the prayer, Gosh, it could be the first time in a long time that you've prayed a prayer to get right with God. I'd like to lead you in that prayer. Now, I'd like to know who I'm praying for. So with every head bowed and every eye closed, if you're here this morning and you need to pray that prayer and get right with God, would you shoot your hand up real high and just say, preacher, pray for me. Today's my day to get right with God. Okay, I see your hand. Is there anybody else? I see your hand. Is there anybody else? I see your hand. Is there anybody else? Come on, shoot them up. Come on, anybody else? Good, 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 good. Yay, God, yay, God, yay, God. I'll lead you in just a moment. Let me talk to those at home. 
People at home, I saw three or four hands shoot right up and say, preacher, I'm gonna get right with God today. I'm gonna remember the Lord today. What about you? Right there on YouTube, you're in your living room, you're in your car, you're in your bedroom. It could be live right now. It could be months from now and you're watching this service, but your heart's pounding out of your chest. You need to get right with God today. So right there, between you and God, raise your hand. And if you believe it in your heart, why don't we all pray this, especially the three or four of you that are here in the room. If you believe it in your heart, pray this out loud. Say, dear Lord Jesus, I do remember you and I honor you and I humble myself before you. Forgive me of my sin. I repent. I surrender my life to you. Wash me and cleanse me of all unrighteousness. Lord, use me to fight for this next generation. Use me to be an example of a godly person. I love you. I thank you. I praise you. I honor you. In Jesus' name, amen. Can I hear a big amen? Can I hear a big amen? I'm so proud of you. Golly, I'm proud of you. Yay, God. Yay, God. Yay, God. Thank you for listening to the Uncommon Church Podcast. If this message has impacted your life, please subscribe and share with your friends and family. And for more information on our church community, you can click the link in the description or visit uncommonchurch.tv.